This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. The Celtics take a commanding 3-1 lead after a stressfully intense Game 4 in Atlanta behind solid performances from a now maskless Jalen Brown and a suddenly springy-looking Rob Williams. We have the world's leading expert on Rob Williams with us tonight to break it all down next on First to the Floor. It's going to be first to the floor here, and it was Marcus Smart as he usually is. Welcome into another episode of First to the Floor. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Jake Eisenberg is here with us as always, but we're also joined by a very special guest, longtime friend of the show from NBC Sports Boston, Chris Forsberg. Forsberg, how you doing, sir? What's, Welcome back. What is going on? Thank you, as always, for letting me come back. Sometimes you, you, you get worried that the invite yeah, the invite won't land. <laughs> <laughs> Never again, that Forsberg guy. No, no, we're very happy to have you back. Thank you. It's Obviously, I mean, let's just get straight into what's happening with the Celtics, of course. That's why you're here in this uh, 3-1 lead, this, this um, dominant 3-1 lead for the mm. Celts. But first, I just want to ask you... What is it like to finally inhabit the same world as a healthy Rob Williams? It feels like we're, we're finally back there. Yeah. I, 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 hold on. Like, let me know. No, yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, so this, before you answer, this is a safe space where we've conducted um, and consulted all the relative um, you know, spiritual guides in the world to ensure that we're not jinxing anything. So good, we've good, done good, our good. homework there. So that's, that's good to hear uh, because as soon as I open my mouth about something, it tends to, uh, tends to backfire. Yes. So, uh, you know, it, it, it is. I mean, probably the most exciting thing about going into these playoffs was the, just the general health of the team and you know, to, to keep seeing these injury reports and only Danilo Gallinari's on there, it's, it's, it's almost jarring. It's like this this isn't the Celtics that I know, uh, mm-hmm. not not like any at any time in my life from Bird to KG's knee to Isaiah's hip to, you know, Kyrie. And, and it's just it just feels like in perpetuity we've uh, we've lived with with injuries, but especially now in this era with Rob. And so it's uh, it's refreshing because I think it's easy to forget, you know, if Rob was healthy last year. I think they have a, a really good shot of winning it all. And and I think it's lingered with him. I think it's lingered with everybody to know that uh, if you just had a, maybe a little bit better luck there with health, that they, they maybe could have got to the finish line. And so it's uh, it's refreshing to hear them all talk about how uh, they need to savor this moment and how it needs to be out there. And then certainly, especially with Rob, I'm uh, I'm trying to savor every second because uh, every time he jumps, I, I sort of do the, ah, ah, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, he's... um. There's, there's no, I've never been a player that I think as a Celtics fan where I've been so worried every time <laughs> I, he does anything out of the ordinary. Like, and I love him for it. The diving on the floor. Look, first to the floor podcast to get that rebound <laughs> and tap it back out to Jalen. I'm like, love to see it, but it does worry you. But, um, 
yesterday was probably, I don't know, the first time I really started to sweat um, in the playoffs. Did you feel like that was kind of the first proper playoff game? Yeah, you know, and, and, and it's funny because a lot of people have said to me, like, does Joe need a close game to sort of show he can make adjustments and play the chess match? And I don't know. Like, I, th- I think he'd just as well roll through these things if you could. But certainly at some point you were going to hit a little bit of adversity. Uh, it wasn't a surprise that the Hawks were as good as they were in game three. Teams are always desperate in that situation. And I mean, very rarely have I thought it's been the other team out playing the Celtics when they lose during the season. But like that was clearly... They were just on another level. Their bench was otherworldly. So, look, it took an otherworldly bench performance, and the Celtics still barely got stiff-armed at the finish line. So I, I felt pretty good coming out of that, and I like the response. Again, for so much of, of what I'm gauging in the early go here is, did they learn from last year? Do they know they need to take care of business? Do they Can they make their lives easier? And so, again, I'm, I'm scared to say these things before game five, but uh, it, it feels like that maybe that it's somewhere in there. They understand, like, you know, take care of business, make this thing, uh, make this journey a little easier because especially as you start to look around, things are, are lining up a little bit. And, uh, you know, while while you're healthy and while you can get some more rest, uh, that, let, let's make this thing, let's make this journey a little easier. Yeah, and look, that was a really, really stressful game, game, game four there. I found <laughs> I've sort of forgotten what that had felt like to sit and actually watch a game like with that much angst. So it's kind of good to to feel the return of that from a from a fan perspective. What was the biggest factor in in this win in uh, in game four for you, Paulsberg? Well, yeah, I mean, you see the, the the title I've chosen right here is uh, yes. I mean, right now, but, uh, <laughs> no. So I, I think it was twofold. I think the the fact that the Jays were so good at the finish line. I mean, obviously Jalen's going to be the story because the whole mask coming off. And and how good he mm-hmm. was. Uh, but both Jalen and Jason just consistently making the right plays in the fourth quarter. Even Jalen, like, dumping the ball off to Rob for those two dunks late um, just showed that, you know, it, it. sometimes they get lost in trying to score or, or, or make the hero play. They just did everything right at the finish line. And that for – I was certainly – you know, the, my big concern, I guess, was first 11 minutes or whatever, and Jalen's going through it one for seven – I'm thinking, man, like it's been a kind of a rough series for him. Is is there something? Is it the is the hand bothering him? Is there like the shoulder that he was grabbing at in game one? And or is he just like in a funk and his confidence shot? I don't know. So it was really refreshing to see him sort of figure it out and get that and him and Jason be the focal points of getting them to the finish line. But big picture wise, like I, I can't help but go back to Rob because it's sort of it, 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 if we needed another example of how he raises their sailing and just puts them on a championship level when he plays, you know, and I didn't think he was like otherworldly yesterday, but it was clear he got challenged to go out and rebound. And so, so he did him and Al took that challenge on, played the double big a ton. And so I think it just showed that when they need to, and when they're all healthy and when they're committed, like, yeah, it's just a reminder that they are a championship level team and get honestly, give credit to the Hawks. Like, that's the second game in a row. They've gone over 120. Like that's a good mm-hmm. offensive team. They just can't play defense, and uh, they do stress you with the way that they they can they can score the ball. Yeah, I, on the last pod, we kind of laid out that the Hawks, out of all of the kind of bad teams, you know, Hawks, Heat, Timberwolves, and Nets, they're the only one of that group that has an elite unit. Like since the deadline, top five, top five offense for a reason. Like outside of the Celtics being the clearly better team. Um, and outside of the Hawks having literally one of the best bench performances in NBA history, mm-hmm. those two things, you know, the Celtics came ready to win a playoff game on the road. 
the the playoffs are never pretty. A lot of the time are not pretty. And as much as the Hawks are, are not, you know, the best team, the playoffs get grimy. You, sometimes you can't worry so much about the percentages, even though they ended up shooting 50-40 yesterday. I don't feel like it was a very smooth performance yesterday, like offensively throughout the game. Like yeah. you got a little rocky in the third quarter, which we'll get into. So I think the biggest difference was they came ready to with that mentality, Tatum with the three blocks. Um, he spoke about the rebounding. Obviously, yeah, Forsberg said they, they played double bigs more. 16 minutes of double bigs yesterday um, against a team like Atlanta that clearly made it a focus. And that's what I love about the Celtics team, that you want to make us play one way. We found a little weakness potentially. Let's just ramp up double bigs an extra, an extra 10 to 12 minutes. And that issue is just pretty much gone. So that's what I thought. I thought there was playoff adjustments. I thought there was playoff intensity um, that they didn't bring to game three. And Atlanta was there. As you said, Forsberg, like they came to play in in game four. Like John Dre Hunter gave Atlanta Hawks fans a reason to believe again. Like he was, he was incredible. So I thought it was a mentality thing for the most part as well. I think that's what made it so stressful. I wasn't expecting, I think many of us weren't expecting Atlanta to bring this much game. And yet in the last two games they have. So like you said, credit to them. And then, you know, Joe, Joe Mazzullo talks about winning on the margins so much. And going back to your uh, your Robert Williams point there, Forsberg, I think you can tie so many of these margin stats to his presence. So points in the paint, 58 to 46 in favor of the Celtics. Fast break points, which is Rob grabbing rebounds, kicking the ball out immediately. 18 to 8 in favor of the Celtics. Bench points, obviously Rob coming off the bench, 30 to 21. We finally won a rebounding battle, 49 to 42. Uh, And then I've added in there, obviously not related to Rob Williams at all, but Celtics, they shot 50% from three in the fourth quarter. Jason Tatum, 16 points in the fourth quarter. Jalen Brown, 12 points in the fourth quarter. Really, finally, the Jays kind of stepping up there and actually like bringing it home um, from, you know, otherwise good performances around the the roster elsewhere in that game. Offensively, 46% of the Celtics shots came... Um, from at the rim, which is top 100th percentile per cleaning the glass in the playoffs <laughs> so far. So obviously, clearly dominant. When they got to the rim, they shot 68%, which isn't world-beating, but it's obviously very efficient. Um, and then I'll add to that Horford, Al Horford, zero points in this game, but the mm. spacing king allowing you know all of that room <laughs> at the rim for the Celtics. So uh, I think that's why he was able to get a, a plus 17 there, despite the zero points. Um, defensively, Mr. Forsberg, was the Celtics drop coverage effective enough in this game, do you think? <laughs> it, it was better, right? Like it felt mm-hmm. like they they uh, they were maybe just a little better at the pickup points and Al didn't sink when he didn't need to. There was a couple instances where, and like, I, I hate like coming down on Al. It's just because he's been very good. It's just he, sometimes there was, there was no roller and he was backpedaling to the rim and Trey would just hit that floater. And uh, next thing you know, it's like, it just snowballed. And so uh, I just thought they were just more crisp overall in every aspect of what they did and the bench not being as good, certainly, you know, plays into it. Now, now, now you're, uh, they're not, now there's a, 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 a more of a load that DeJounte and, and Trey got to carry and, and that feels a little bit more overwhelming to them. And so, uh, yeah, it's just like in general, I think overall I'll walk away from this series saying, I hope the Celtics are a little bit more crisp and don't have quite the many lulls defensively, moving forward and yet the challenge will be different. Like when you start looking ahead and I'm sure we'll get into that, but you know, defending Embiid is going to be different than defending and you know, if Embiid is out there and uh, defending the, 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 the Sixers overall is going to be different than defending the Hawks. And so uh, it's on Joe to make sure that everything they've tightened up as this series has gone along is, is, is clicking from the start of whatever comes next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think people get like yeah, game three, the drop wasn't wasn't good enough. Everybody's like, can't believe we're playing this drop again. But like you watch switching Al Hofford onto Trey Young, 
was definitely worse. Um, and these, <laughs> and these playoff games, sometimes it's, it's literally about doing the game plan better. Mm. Like you even go back to, I think of the Hawks. Bucks series where it was the conference finals, it looked like Brook Lopez couldn't play at all in that series. And then you go back, you have two days off, you tighten up, you watch film, and then the next game, you know, you, you adjust that drop a little bit, and it's a lot tighter. Is it a, is it a little bit of a hot take to say that maybe that Derek and Marcus will have an easier time defensively with the Sixers than they will have with Trey and Dejounte? I, I don't. I, I, I don't think it's know. hot. I don't think it's hot. I think it's, <laughs> it, it's 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 pretty like you just feel pretty good about that. You know, they'll 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 have their stretches where they get hot, but I don't think it's going to put as much stress on you as Trey does when you have to worry about shooting from forty feet and attacking the basket and and all that. So yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. If you want to have a little fun as a Celtics fan, I would recommend looking up Harden's um, two point and rim numbers um, as a way to get ready for as a way to get ready for next round. But yeah, I thought I thought the defense was was definitely improved. Um, is there anything you you see from the Celtics that you would like them to clean up? So going into Game Five, um, like even Marcus, I think is is everybody is, is has been up and down at times. Like I was worried for Al when he got put in isolation so much, and I'm thinking, okay, now he's looking like a 37 year old. And then I think about the the Sixers series. He just gets so motivated for that matchup that I have no concerns that Al is going to be like on another level going up against them, going up against Embiid and knowing how much he got blamed for all that team's failures after being there. And so I, I, it's hard to quibble right now. You know, I, I was talking with B-Rob this morning. We were joking. Has it been pretty much like the perfect series for the Celtics? Like you, you get Derek White game early. You're not quite, you know, peaking. You're still plenty of room for improvement. You haven't had the Tatum game. You haven't had the Jalen game necessarily. And yet you've really been dominant for most of the series. And you've still taken a shot and had to adjust and, and kind of learn things. So, yeah, like uh, I, I, I don't have a lot of discouraging things. I guess, you know, it, it, the weird thing that jumps to mind is like Rob wasn't himself in game three. And you just can kind of tell on a night-to-night basis where, you know, for whatever reason, he's either – too contest happy and abandons the the rebounding. And Joe's been good about trying to snap him back on that. Um, but yeah, that's what the, I guess it's just when whenever any of these guys steps outside themselves a little bit, Marcus with his three point shooting, Rob with like trying to block everything. As long as Joe can reel them back in, then I, then I feel pretty good about where they're at. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think. I don't want to make it this simple, but the Hawks shot 41% from three over the two games at home and compared to their 35% season average, mm. not a good three-point shooting team. And then they shot 27% from three in the first two games in the Garden. And we'll, maybe we'll transition to how confident you are about game five and how the DeJounte Murray suspension kind of factors into that. I uh, wasn't sure if we we're going to have that news for the podcast, but luckily we, <laughs> we do. I thought it was obvious. I, I yeah. As soon as I saw the video, I was like, you saw Grant and you've seen how they've kind of been, um, you know, laying down the law in mm. the rest of the playoffs. I think they had no choice. You can't like just go up to the ref and like kind of headbutt the ref, like, if we're being honest. Yeah. And, and, and it's funny because we all were doing it. There's a Pruder film, right? Like, did he, t- yeah. did he make contact? Is yeah, there a yeah, yeah. of the shoulder? The intent. You know, what, <laughs> I guess the point should be that even if you, if you don't make contact, you can't be that aggressive. You can't be, especially after the game. Like I've seen Marcus go up to officials after games plenty of times and sort of just have a conversation. Sometimes it gets animated. Sometimes like someone's got to pull them back, but you know, it's usually it gets fine in that instance. When you're this aggressive in it, and just like you said, pointing out the grant, I think about Rondo back in yep. 09, I think it was, 
And you just, you just, there was just a precedence. And I don't think you can let that happen and then, you know, just kind of turn a blind eye to it. And maybe if it was, I, I, and I hate to say it, I wonder if the league thinks differently if it's 3 2, you know, yeah. game six or whatever. But yeah. um, I mean, the Hawks were cooked as it was. And uh, this just makes it a little easy. My only fear is the, the usual thing with the Celtics is that That's whenever right. they think it's going to kind of be easy, it gets a little bit more difficult. And so it goes back to the start of this conversation. I just hope that they bring the necessary uh, energy for game five because they can't just show up and think, okay, just because they don't have their, they're really what's been their best player in the series out there that it's going to be easy. Although I do think it'd be pretty easy to to put the Hawks in a position where they're just thinking, okay, one, two, three, Cancun. Uh, but you got to jump them <laughs> early and 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 then, then you can kind of downshift a little bit. Yeah, I don't think DeJounte Murray necessarily conducts himself that way at the end of the game. If he didn't already have Cancun, mm. you know, in the back of his mind, I think it's it's clearly over from from anyone's perspective at this point. But I just hope that it's not S- Sadiq Bay time. And that comes more from the neurotic <laughs> Celtics fan standpoint more than any sort of, you know, sense of realism. But, you know, we talked about that drop coverage earlier and the, the, the biggest beneficiary of that has been DeJounte Murray. So with him out of the picture, you'd hope that the Celtics can can coast while still taking their opponents seriously in this game five and and wrap it up here in in five. Let's move on to some individual performances. We've sort of touched on it already, but we've got you, Forsberg, on the pod. So let's (laughs) circle back. Let's do a little bit more Time Lord while you're here. 13 points, 15 boards, three offensive rebounds, three assists, two steals, two blocks, just a nice filled out Time Lord classic uh, stat line there. Five of six from the free throw line as well. So very efficient Mm. getting to the line and finishing at the free throw line. 29 minutes, Forsberg. Like he, I guess it was kind of necessary for him to play that much, but it's it's definitely a notable spike in his minutes. Do you think that's sustainable? Are we going to see around 30 minutes for Rob going forward? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it, it, I guess I, I the Philly series is weird, right? Because they've tried to keep his minutes staggered with Embiid. And so you'll probably see him more. There'll be some overlap, but I do think Al will be on the court in those instances. And he's just more in that Roma role. Uh, and then you can kind of let him be the maybe solo big at times and maybe just match Al's minutes with Embiid when able. Although I guess Al's not going to play 40. So you're going to have to buy some time where it's it's some combination of, of of other bigs there. Maybe that's when Grant becomes super valuable and getting the, the double will lineup out there uh, for, for stretches. But I, th- I think the best thing for me is just you know sitting down with Rob before the playoffs and he kind of reaffirmed it after the game last night. Like, I don't know if there's been anyone on the team that has been that Joe Missoula has been hotter on than Rob. And you can see it a lot when they're coming off the court. It's usually like he's running over to Rob with a, a point of emphasis or, you know, something that he wants to hammer home. And I just think that he understands how important Rob is. He knows that Rob has all that potential. Uh, and it felt like before this game, not only did he challenge the team to go control the glass, but I think it was Rob in particular. And it's like, you got to get those rebounds. You got to be the, the, you know, your normal self on the glass. And so uh, it was good to see Rob really buy into that. He still was a little tip happy in the first like five minutes or so, where he's always trying to just slap it back out. Uh, mm-hmm. And then eventually he just started corralling everything. And he had one great one, I think, with like five minutes to go in the fourth quarter. He just went right up and over Collins. Um, and so... That's what you need. Like the, the it, w- never have four factors been such a talking point in Boston, but Joe <laughs> has made it like a daily conversation. And uh, so controlling that class is just it's going to be paramount. Just when you start looking at the path and with the with the fact that it's probably going to be Philly and Milwaukee moving forward, and uh, you know you're going to have to make sure you're uh, you're controlling that. And uh, like 
you throw in those blocks there and uh, it just adds up to uh, to the full Rob experience. Yeah, yeah. I think we, once he rubbed off whatever the slippery stuff was on his hands in the first quarter, like I feel like there was like four or five <laughs> rebounds or passes that just like popped out of his hands. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love that Joe. Joe's actually feels like coming into his own. We're getting like more and more as the playoffs kind of and the season goes along. Um, but he clearly knows, as Forsberg does, and as we do, that Rob is the chosen one. Um, pick any, you know, fictional character, Avatar, Aang. Uh, my personal favorite's Gohan. You know, Neo from The Matrix. Like, <laughs> he has the hidden power. He just, once he yes. learns how to harness it, it, it saves the world um, and it, it brings in Banner 18. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite, um, you know, you said five for six from the field and like something that I always remember, and I'm sure Forsberg knows this, but Rob shot 89% from the free throw line in last year's mm-hmm. playoffs, 25 yeah. from 28. Talk about playoff rises. That's clutch. You don't think about Rob as like, okay, I got so many of these big men, like Mitchell Robinson's been awesome in the Knicks series, but like it's, that's a fatal flaw as you kind of mm-hmm. get through the playoffs. Um, I think they maybe tried to hack a Capella yesterday. They didn't yeah. quite like one show instance. it yesterday. Yeah, and he made both, yeah. um, and he's a 60% free throw shooter. It's never going to be an issue with Rob. And it's just like you talk about margins. Like if you're a big man that's down there, can can go five for six from the line, and you feel confident when you're up there, like that's kind of an outlier from one of those big guys. Yeah, and maybe getting ahead of myself here, but that surely shows potential going further into his career, maybe becoming some form of a, a mid-range, not assassin, Honest. but you know, capable from mid-range and really expanding his game there and adding to the spacing that he already provides the rest of the team on the court. Uh, we'll get to Jalen Brown very quickly. I think I heard you earlier today, Forsberg, on winning plays, and you're sort of talking about, yeah, the mask situation. Like, yes, that's kind of the big story, the big takeaway. <laughs> you know, it's a little silly because it's like, what, he just took off a mask and yeah. it turned his game around. But, like, that obviously did happen. Like, he took the mask off and it was immediately <laughs> better, so we have to address it. 31 yeah. points, four boards, three assists, three or four from three. Discards the mask midway to the second <laughs> quarter after a one to seven start. Um, and then we, we already talked about his playmaking late in the game. Um, like, did you get a sense from the Jalen stuff after the game that you know, getting rid of the mask was really the catalyst for his turnaround? It, it, it could have been anything. Like, he could have ripped off the elbow pad or, like, you know, took off, put on a headband, whatever it would have been. It would have, like, changed the tenor of, of his night. He just needed something. You know, I, I hate to call it placebo, but, you know, you need something that just tricks your mind into thinking, like, okay, now I can justify. That's what the reason was for that one for seven start. And right. he just was more himself. <laughs> And so I don't know. I guess we were, it was invariably going to happen at some point. He had been so good with the mask that we just kind of started to think he might go full Rip Hamilton and wear it forever. Uh, <laughs> but it is nice that he can settle in and, you know, it does help to have a little bit of that extra vision to not have to adjust it after every play to not worry about it. Uh, you know, and it didn't seem to deter him from, from being aggressive going to the basket. So as long as he's comfortable out there and as long as mom isn't badgering him about having to take that mask off, <laughs> Uh, I think we'll be okay. But uh, yeah, again, I, I like, I, I hate to be prisoner of the moment, but I, I the, the slow start and just the, you know, the fact that he was coming off a, a, a poor game three uh, just sort of had me thinking like, Oh, is there something bigger at play here? And turns out, no, it was just like, he just needed to kind of get going again and do Jalen things. And I think that's really important for, for whatever this team accomplishes moving forward. 
If I have one request of Jalen, and I imagine it's quite difficult when you're in the moment and you have the ability to rise up and throw down these awesome dunks, just just don't right now because every time he does, <laughs> yeah. it feels like his his hand explodes and there's blood. Was it his blood coming down his arm? Well, or was yeah, it I, think he, I think he cut his elbow on the play that uh, Rob dove on the floor. Okay, so but right. yeah, it, it, same deal. And 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 come on, man. Scal isn't helping the moment when like Rob hits the floor oh, and, and, and he like oh. and he and he exclaims or like there's blood on Jalen and we all freak out. Uh, but yeah, it's have uh, you have it, you told Scal that everybody watching <laughs> like knows that anytime anyone does anything intro related, he's like, oh no, yeah, I'm like you exactly. can't do this to us. And you can never see. not hot stopping. <laughs> I, I I I'll try to do it gently, but uh, yeah, the when 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 when, when Muscala went from like pretty much uh, uh, dead to back, yeah. in the, back in the game, that was the one where I was like, okay, we, we, uh, we I I know what he does because like I do the same thing like watching yeah. it, I like I'm freaking out but i'm not also spooking an entire fan base in that moment so uh yeah, yeah it's it's tough when you're just that much into it it yeah. can be traumatizing Look, yeah. <laughs> i think i think it was so it was so stark to see jalen play that well because like game one he was he scored a lot and was good but he had like was it was like six turnovers mm-hmm. and then the next two games definitely was up and down and so to watch him play like peak jalen in the second half it was we hadn't actually kind of seen it for a little while and you're like oh this is why he deserves to be all NBA. This is why we think that he's like the best number two in the NBA. So to see him find that rhythm in that moment that was really important. Like I thought Marcus and Jalen, when it was teetering in the third quarter, those were the two guys that really steadied the ship. Mm-hmm. Jason Tatum, we mentioned 16 points in the fourth quarter. A nice padded out stat line, including 31 points and 12 free throw attempts and three blocks, like elite defense and, and pretty good rebounding as well. I think he had three rebounds within the first like 90 seconds of the game. So clearly a point of emphasis from a coaching uh, perspective. What do you think of Tatum's performance in this one? And just throughout the, the series so far, like I don't think we've seen, you mentioned it, like a good performance. So like a solid, consistent performance from either of the wings so far, which seems folly to say because, you know, 31 points each, obviously right. that, that's great. Um, so what have you thought about, um, about them so far in this series? And does it give you any concern moving forward that in a sense, while we've had great performances across the roster thus far, eventually we're going to need some elite performances from the Jays to actually win a title? Yeah, exactly. I just keep waiting for like this sort of the Tatum game. I thought that was going to be yesterday. Like you heard mm-hmm. him say, take the blame for game three, even though it clearly wasn't just his individual fault. And I just thought game four, where he would just go out there and dominate. Uh, so maybe, I, I don't know. I don't, maybe he doesn't have to do it at any point in this series. That's not a bad thing. If he, if you just stock up on the Tatum games for, for later in these playoffs. Uh, but yeah, that would be nice where it's been a luxury when Derek White was your best player through two games and, you know, all around efforts for, for, for game four and getting, getting as much as you have out of Marcus and Derek and, and Brogdon off the bench outside of game one. So, uh, yeah, I, I felt, I think the best thing about Jason has been, he, and it's so weird to say like, he's not, not dominating the game when he's averaging almost 30 per game and 10, and like a double, double <laughs> every night. Uh, but the, the blocks, I think we keep we've said it multiple times over the years, right? Like he has all NBA, all defense potential because of his length, his ability to jump passing lanes, his ability to alter shots, and yet he expends so much in offense that sometimes it doesn't manifest itself defensively. So uh, good to see him go full rob and block those three shots and be impactful. And uh, yeah, I could I could use a little bit of that uh, moving forward. Just you know, I would take a downturn in in total output from Tatum if it meant 
him being elite defensively, especially when the Celtics need to make that a calling card in in tougher series. Yeah, I think that's always going to be the underrated thing about Tatum is the all-around game because he's kind of marketed by everyone as like this 30-point superstar scorer, which he which he is for the most part. But like the defense, and he can't do it throughout the regular season, as you said, like it, and he shouldn't be expending all defense level energy throughout the regular season. But when he turns it up, like he's in that top tier class of wing defenders. And I thought yesterday, he's been good defensively all series, but I thought yesterday was the best we've seen so far. And the rebounding, the margins, like no one's going to talk about it, but like he led the team in rebounding all year. And he's been, he, he's turned, he turns himself into a power forward when he needs to. And when he has, and he's had to do that throughout the season. And like, it's not going to, you know, get a lot of likes and retweets. We're talking about Tatum's defensive rebounding, but he's really, really good at it. And it's really, really important for this team and partly why they're the, the best defensive rebounding team in the league. Um, I thought he was great. And sometimes the efficiency is not going to be there with Tatum, but like 31% from three. And I, I also he took like three end of shot clock threes yesterday, mm. partly his own doing, I, th- I think as well. But like there was a few kind of hot potato moments where I, which I think brought the shot quality down, but 11 from 12 from the line, that's the superstar. That's a superstar mark as well. Yeah, totally. I am nitpicking here, but you know, we had a, <laughs> some really good momentum towards the end of the first quarter. Uh, we're up double digits and then Tatum took like two really early shot clock threes, like isolation threes, just completely out of rhythm, no passing in those possessions at all. And then ended the quarter on a really heavily contested, like fading to the corner, two point potential buzzer beater, three awful shots. I, I think we talked about like, what can the Celtics improve on? Like Tatum can definitely improve on the decision making. Like I get, like it must, well, actually I don't get it. I cannot, I literally cannot imagine what it's like to be Jason Tatum, but I would imagine <laughs> you think you're the man and you think that you're entitled to these shots and he probably rightfully feels that way. But, you know, for him as he matures as a player, I'd like to see him get away from those poor decision making moments and, and operate more within the flow of the offense. I think that's a, a pretty uh, common um, um, criticism of, it, of the way that he conducts himself. Forsberg, out of smart, white, Brogdon, who do you think was the next most impactful in this game? Ooh, in that game. Um, I mean, White was really good in the first half. I think kind of kept him afloat with those 15 points, was it, at halftime, something like that. Uh, but Marcus, I think we said, you know, that third quarter stretch was yes. was, was huge. And, and That's the so, right answer. <laughs> yeah. I, and I, nice. I, I honestly think throughout the series, Marcus has been, you know, a little below the radar just because he clearly turned it up defensively in games one and two. Was, didn't, wasn't enough to, to sort of save them uh, in game three. Uh, but just giving them the right amount of Marcus Smart jolt offensively uh, in key spots has been has been important. So um, I, I do think it's, it's a little bit refreshing. You know, what was it? Was it game two when he got – or maybe it was game three where he got pulled with five minutes to go – um, yep. Yeah, and and I said, "Ooh, this is interesting. He's not going to be sort of on the floor." And then they realized, man, they really need his defense out there. And they went back to him. Uh, but if he is able to impact the game on both ends the way he has, uh, this is sort of you know the perfect Marcus Smart uh, balance between playmaking, giving you the offense when you need it, and still being taking his defense up a level from from the inconsistencies of the regular season. Playoff smart, man. I thought <laughs> yes. that I think I I thought that honestly all series his defense has been phenomenal. Um 
I thought he was one of the only guys that really turned up in, in game three. I thought like, and he tried to drag us all the way, all the way there. But yesterday in that third quarter, Jalen and him, like the Hawks were making that run. They cut it to three to DeAndre Hunter was like five for six and smart. Like Tatum was having that weird thing that you said, Ben, like he just wasn't as assertive and smart was getting downhill. And a lot of like, this is what's going to happen is defenses are going to shade towards the Jays and make it difficult for them to collapse the paint. And Mark, I trust Marcus Smart, especially in this matchup and definitely in the next matchup as well against Maxi and Harden to get downhill. And whether that's finishing at the rim or playmaking out of that, like I really trust him with the ball in those high leverage moments. Um, he's at, he's also shooting at 40% for three so far in the playoffs, yeah. which is, which is nice for like, yeah, 17, six and five on 60% true shooting. Like, mm. I don't know how many times Marcus Smart is going to have these massive playoff games in like pivotal moments in series for um, there never to be. And like, we don't need to have any Marcus Smart, you know, conversations about <laughs> like, you know, shot selection and stuff. It's like when it's winning time, Marcus Smart has always been a massive reason as why we're making these deep runs. And I thought that yesterday was a perfect example of it. Yeah, the maestro, Marcus the maestro smart has finally returned. Good timing there being the playoffs. And, you know, Marcus Smart is never going to be as open from three as he is against playoff defenses uh, as attention shifts towards other more lethal shooters on the team. So it's good to see that he's actually knocking them down. He also had some really strong takes to the rim. For a guy who rolled his ankle, like, quite badly in the middle of the game and has been banged up all season, he had some really assertive takes. He had one layup where he just drove directly at Clint Capella and like climbed him like a tree and finished over him. It was ridiculous. So that's really good to see. We and then Duncan to... was nuts. Oh, yeah, yeah come on. absolutely. So good to see. I, I can't remember the last time I saw him like soar up to the rim like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, it was probably Pog- quite recently. He waved, yeah. he waved, he waved whoever the help defender was and he was like, get out of here. Yeah. And- <laughs> I think Bogdanovich is going to have to start next game, so that's that's nice as well. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, now that I've said that, he'll probably hit like 10. <laughs> yeah, he won't, he won't miss a shot, but he'll give it back on the other end. Yeah, we've got to give White and Brogdon their flowers. Like, I think, you know, we've already done so with, with Derek White so far in this series, so maybe we can skip over him, um, which feels um, like a sin to do so. Derek yeah. White, 18 yeah, points, <laughs> just whatever, dude. No. Uh, Brogdon, though, uh, if you go back and watch the last few minutes of the first quarter and the first few minutes of the second quarter, Jalen Johnson only played about five minutes, and those five Mm -hmm. minutes feature Malcolm (laughs) Brogdon absolutely playing him off the court. It is ridiculous how just much he dominates him. And the size disparity there, you'd think that Jalen Johnson, you know, pretty athletic wing, although quite young, would have some sort of physicality advantage over Malcolm Brogdon. No, sir. No, sir. He was played off the court within five minutes. Um, It was incredible. Anyone else from this game or the series, Forsberg, that you want to kind of, you know, shed a spotlight on as far as impact? We haven't talked about Sam Hauser yet and how his defense has kind of held up and we've seen some spot minutes from Grant Williams. Any other sort of notable takeaways from your perspective? You don't want to talk about the two minutes of Muscala or whatever that- uh, We can. (laughs) I like that Joe tried it and then yanked it. I I keep going back to it. I think it's it's good that he's just keeping guys engaged, letting them know that there might just be a situation where they get thrown in there because, you know, we know it's going to happen. You know, you're going to get a bunch of Blake probably against Philly and Milwaukee. Like, you know, they torched Doc Rivers- uh, that that Philly game he started and Milwaukee, like when he was on the Nets, he played a ton of it. So there's going to be time for all these guys for, you know, in, in instances and, and heaven forbid again, we've talked about them being being uh, good health-wise. The one I guess I would bring up is 
is Al. And so, I, you know, when I was Force watching Al- this is why you're a friend you're of the show. Because you, you just take the words right out of our mouths. It's like <laughs> it's you're perfect. looking at our run shade right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> legend. A, it, I know it's easy because we, we're just suckers for the box score. And, you know, I guess if you look and you're just surface level, you'll say, oh, the plus, the plus minus is crazy for a guy that didn't score and, and took two shots. Uh, but I, I go back to it. I love that more than anybody, like Joe can say to him, just go box out for 30 minutes. And like, that's all we need you to do. Defend and box out and we'll be cool. And Al just goes, okay, you know, and, and goes and does it. And I'm sure he, I'm sure he would have liked a, a couple more threes in there, but he's not going to sweat it. It's the bottom line is winning. And uh, I don't think this has been his finest defensive series. Uh, you know, he's been put on an island a lot and the, the Hawks certainly took advantage of that drop and then putting him in isolation against Trey. And, you know, look, really good defenders, let alone 37-year-old big men are, are going to struggle in, in that instance. Uh, I just like that. You know, it, the NBA's box out metric is fluky at best. I'm not even sure how mm-hmm. it's quite derived. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't suspect that there's someone there looking to see if they're putting their butt in someone else's stomach and, you know, kind of driving them backwards. I suspect it's based on like proximity. And yet here's Al and he had as many box outs in that game, game four, seven, as the Celtics had total in games two and three. And so even if it's a fluky metric, you know, it's still noticeable when he's Mm -hmm. made it a priority. He did the same thing in game one when the Celtics obviously came into the series saying they got to, they got to be committed on that. And so uh, shout out to, to Al, who just relentless desire to win. And it doesn't matter if he, he, he doesn't care if he gets his flowers. If he, if anyone notices, it's just like, as long as they keep winning and they got another chance to win a title, he's going to be fine with it. Yeah. Like this team has talked about sacrifice a lot, whether it's Brogdon and yesterday, you know, Al Horford, one of the best three point shooters in the league gets to take two shots. I I have to go back and look at the last time Al Horford had three offensive rebounds in a game like that. That does not feel like something that happens very often. Um, I had a look at like the the two man lineup data just because mm-hmm. it feels like um, Al's been Al's been really good there. Um, minimum twenty minute um, like you know line. Um, Brogdon and Al have the highest net rating two man group at forty two point two forty five minutes, and the most played two man lineup is Tatum and Al. 125 minutes at 14.8. And you just go through like the top, all like the top 14 lineups. Al's in like seven of them. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's, the, he's the man. Playoff Al, dude. Um, I, I you, you just love to see all those little, those little notes being hit by um, everybody playing their role, which is why I think you should be very high on this team going, going forward. Yeah, and with Al, we've talked about this on the pod before, but you know, you're the ball handler and pick and roll. Al's playing back and drop. You come around that screen. What's the first thing you see? Al's beautiful eyes. It's completely mesmerizing <laughs> you. What do Mesmerized. you do? You can't be expected to perform. <laughs> um, we're going to wrap the pod here with our miscellaneous uh, section, which is everything that wasn't didn't have enough legs to to appear in uh, the A or B block here. So, Forsberg, <laughs> how sure of victory were you in this game when you saw confetti prematurely falling from the from the roof? <laughs> Someone had a great tweet about it. I wish I. I wish I could remember who it was, but it it it, the, the, it sort of said like it, it's only happened twice, but it's just because it doesn't happen, it just seems like notable that yeah. uh, that it's happened twice against the Celtics, and it's just see it feels like a good omen whenever it comes down. Now there have been like random straight pieces that are falling from TD Garden, and uh, maybe we'll just notice it more. Uh, but every every concert now involves a inordinate amount of confetti, and why <laughs> why people can't seem to to release it in in proper doses is beyond me. Um, but 
uh, yeah, it, the fact that the game actually had to be stopped for a minute and that uh, some oh Luke Cornett plucked one like yeah, right out yeah. of the air. Uh, and, and, you know, so, so, uh, it added a little flair to it, but yeah, if, if, if you had any doubt, the series was, was, uh, was curtains at that point, it, it felt like that was, uh, that was a nice little, little tribute. For sure. Yeah, that was, that was, that was a no brainer at that point game over. You may as well just may as well pack it up at that point. Um, I, I'm glad you put this in the, the notes, Ben, cause I forgot about this in, in the smart segment was, you know, I, I know the mask came off, but it was. The Jalen Smart come here when Jalen tried to throw like two turnovers in like seven seconds towards yep. the end of the first half. And Smart's like, breathe, <laughs> breathe, my friend. <laughs> and Jalen's like, I'm sorry. That's what I imagined the dialogue was in my head. Um, that felt like honestly the thing that changed it more. Obviously, halftime happened and they probably was a more extended thing, but like the Jalen and Smart relationship, like I think is one of my favorite things is like they've just gone through so many, so many disagreements and battles and like in the heat of the moment when like smart, like could have easily just like, like at first like, bro, what, what, what are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? And Jalen's <laughs> like, I know I'm sorry. And it's just like, no harm, no foul. Um, and then bang comes out and is peak Jalen in the second half. Like I just, I think, uh, gonna give captain smart a little extra. Love for that one. They've, they've come a long way since Smart was throwing tables at him or whatever in the bubble, then <laughs> yeah, you know, flipping the stuff yeah. over. But yeah, they, their relationship is so funny because they've they literally like been through wars and screamed at each other a hundred times, and yet they're probably the closest on the team because of it. And uh, the 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 backdoor connection when they when they run that little you know mm. action, and and I mean, man, I keep every time I see the Hawks ball for it, I'm like, man, how much cl- how much tape do you got to watch to know that they're going to do this like <laughs> twice a game? Uh, so yeah, shout out to those guys for being able to, to reel each other in probably. I hope it goes both ways. I hope that Jalen feels confident enough to go up to Marcus and be like, dude, all right, enough with the threes, <laughs> you know, like yeah. and then same deal, like breathe, go back to playmaking. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope so. We'll wrap with this. This is obviously just announced uh, about an hour or so before we started recording. Ime Udoka to the Houston Rockets. Forsberg, obviously, you know, some speculation as to where he could go. Toronto uh, was a leading candidate. You talked with Brian Robb earlier today about Philadelphia possibly being a good destination. It's the Houston Rockets. How surprised are you by that outcome? I'm, 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 I am a little surprised. And so I guess from the perspective of like, he had to know Toronto and him and uh, Nigeria are, are like really close and Nigerian basketball roots. I, they had to have had some conversation and, you know, maybe they were just honest and said like, look for our culture, for where we're going. It's just, you know, we can't do this. Uh, and, but he also had to know, like, I think if Philly gets bounced, that that's going to be a pretty great job for anybody. And he has time there. And I just thought that was sort of like a, a, a more obvious uh, opportunity for him. But yet again, like, you know, maybe he just couldn't wait to find out if that would happen because he can't be out of basketball for two years or, you know, waiting for even a, maybe even worse situation. So why not roll the dice? Hope you get Wembanyama. Hope, you know, this core that are that at least beat the Celtics uh, earlier this <laughs> year is, uh, is, is, is intriguing enough. I think selfishly from a Celtics perspective, it's good that he's not in the Atlantic division because it's not a constant headache. Uh, like four times a year having to do it, or if it's Toronto when they play them in the preseason too, it's like, you know, it feels like it would be a, just a perpetual storyline. Um, and I think the timing is probably as ideal as it could have been. My fear was that, you know, you beat Philly, they fire, and then you get the immediate reports that they're going to hire Ime, and then you're into the 
Eastern Conference Finals, and now you're answering questions on him coming to the division and him coming to a rival and, you know, back with like the whole hoopla that we went through with the Brooklyn situation. So uh, I, I, I don't know. I guess that's just where my mind goes is in terms of I, I know how much Brad Stevens doesn't want distractions and like it's part of the reason he signs all these guys to extensions and and tries to limit the drama. And that's part of the reason like Joe got the got the, the nod at midseason, like just everything you can do to make your players individually and, and as a team focused on the collective goal is important. And this is something they can't control. Uh, and yet I think it'll the, the distraction will be limited. It will certainly bubble up because he is going to have to have a press conference. He's invariably going to have to answer some questions that, you know, we all kind of want some answers to. And uh, I'll be interested to see like how or if that has any effect on the team. Uh, my guess yeah. is hopefully enough time has passed to uh, to negate any of the any of the potential for it to to derail you even for for a short time. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if we get more more details and um, now that Doka actually is going to be speaking in front of the media now um, consistently. Yeah, I think if that's the if they offered you the job, you kind of there's thirty of these things and you just have to have to jump at it. Like someone like Quinn Snyder surprised me for jumping yeah. into the Hawks when there's like a lot of, like could be Philly, could be, you know, uh, Mavericks. There's a lot of potentially better situations. Um, look, the situation in Boston, one of the all-time kind of bad decision-making things, like to go from this core, Jalen and Jason set up for the next however long versus I, we just saw that comment there from Christopher Feely, the, Maybe you get hard, and it's like Jalen Green and Shingun, and you're praying with a 14% chance you get Wimbenyama. Um, I don't know if that's a playoff team. Like the West is good, probably going to be better again next mm-hmm. year. Um, that's a disaster of a defensive team, even if a James Harden does make it over there. I'm on record as saying I think uh, Wimbenyama is not going to reach the ceiling of uh, SGA just as, just for fun, as um, just for a bit of a zag. But yeah, it's um, and I, I would just like to like there's going to be. You know, they, he, he fixed the Celtics culture and maybe he can fix the Rockets culture. And I just don't think that the, the Celtics coach culture ever really specifically needed fixing. That year that they went 500, like that COVID year where Tatum made COVID and Jalen did his wrist. Mm-hmm. As much as Danny Age did for the Celtics, Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tice were the double bigs that we were running as opposed to Al Horford and Rob Williams. Jeff Teague. Jeff I, Teague. I, ah, thank you. Jeff, <laughs> you give me flashbacks. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Teague, Shemi, like Jabari Parker, like, that roster, the fact that they got to 500 was, I think, more a testament to Marcus Jalen and Jason than anything else. Like the culture is those guys are now to me. Um, and obviously Brad still being there. And you can see with Joe coming in, obviously a good coach, but I think you got to give credit where credit's due to those guys because they've been winning for for five plus years now and that's the common denominator we better wrap it up there uh look that is going to do it for this one thank you so much for joining us i think we're 50 50 maybe you're going to fire up our playback watch party room for game five so keep an eye on our socials for that chris forsberg it's always great having you on good luck with all the coverage for the remainder of the season i hope it includes coverage of the celtics 18th championship uh thanks so much for coming on thank you guys as always let's uh let's get back together uh if this if this thing keeps uh keeps rolling yeah sounds good absolutely all right jake eisenberg love your work mate we'll be back with another pod later in the week until then go celtics